0: Do you feel prepared? With everything going on in the world, do you find yourself thinking about self-defense, home protection, and financial protection more than ever? One form of financial protection is diversification. Gold has often been used to protect assets against inflation. Gold is a global reserve asset, and countries are buying massive amounts of gold as a hedge against financial collapse. It's time to help protect yourself and invest in gold. Stop thinking things are going to get better. You need to look out for yourself, and your family. Visit learnaboutgold.com. Learnaboutgold.com is a simple, free educational website. Learnaboutgold.com can help you learn about gold. Our website has extensive educational resources that can help guide you along the path of precious metals investing. It's time to inform yourself about why owning gold is more important today than ever. Learnaboutgold.com. That's learnaboutgold.com. Three words. Learnaboutgold.com.
1: Hey, everybody, this is Matt Walsh, and you're about to listen to a very special episode of Backstage featuring myself, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, Andrew Clavin, and Michael Knowles. We cover a variety of topics, including Elon Musk, Walt Disney, and uh, we're joined by our special guest, Tim Pool. Trust me, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. Check it out.
2: Who can fake laugh in a world like this? Daily Wire Backstage <laughs> is sponsored by ExpressVPN. <laughs> Privacy is a right, not a privilege. Defend your rights at expressvpn.com slash backstage. I'm Jeremy Boring, god king of these lowly Daily Wires, joined as ever by the Ben Shapiro, the Andrew Clavin, the Matt Walsh, and the Michael Knowles. I gave Michael Knowles V just because I'm feeling generous. <laughs> We're glad you've tuned in. Well, oh, I think they already rolled the intro. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's over.
3: It's over.
2: Mathis is in my ear going, no, we already ran the graphic. We already ran the graphic. Anyway, we're off to a good start. <laughs> uh, the big news uh, in the world today that I want to most talk about is how little Michael Knowles is willing to do for mm. world peace. <laughs> <I'm>
0: so, sorry, <laughs> it was, it's
2: a slow news week. You know, I got to tell you, so I, I was at Yale
4: with uh, Senator Cruz a couple days ago. Yeah. We got lots of really high-level questions that you would expect from the geniuses in New Haven, one of which was, would you filate?" a man to end world hunger. Ah, thank you. For, now, but it, it would have been the same answer with world peace, which is, no, I'm not <laughs> going to do that. I'm not willing to do it. And people said, Michael, dear, that's awful. That's ter-. They don't realize. If they had offered me a part on a sitcom, if they had offered me, I don't know, a hundred bucks, maybe that
2: could have been a different answer. <laughs> world hunger? World hunger. What does that have to do with me? It's an incredibly slow uh, news cycle, which always, I think, leads to the most enjoyable <laughs> backstages. Uh, I rather than sort of working our way through a bunch of stories that nobody cares about, like some bird craps on the president, and he's totally unaware of it, you know, yeah.
3: it's just another day. That was and, the American eagle. And another
2: day <laughs> in America. <laughs> that was just America just crapping America <laughs> on that's the it. president.
3: He, he's, yeah. like, he's lucky bulls don't fly as far.
2: Well. I, I will say that I recently <laughs> had an interaction with what may have been the same Bald eagle and it crapped on my God King cape. <laughs> <laughs> that's the and then, that was God. That wasn't even the eagle. That that's that's well, deserved. Yeah, yeah. That well deserved. You know, my uh, since the premiere of the Jeremy's Razors commercial and the announcements about uh about DW kids and all the great work that I've been doing in the world, <laughs> people recognizing about me, people on, on the streets yeah. thanking me. I just want you guys to know my head has not gotten smaller. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly hasn't happened. But I don't just wear my cape like around the office or anything. No, I mean, just just Just, around your house. Just Just at home. The (laughs) the wife likes
5: it. (laughs) But these are good times for us to talk about like more philosophical issues. Like the left stealing our children and trying to indoctrinate them into queer theory. Like the left,
2: uh, that's just a...
5: Just just like like an issue? Just (laughs) one example, yeah.
2: Obviously, this is something that uh, Matt has, I think, taken a real leadership role in the conservative uh, movement as far as you know, probing this issue, trying to get... People around the world to define what is a woman. An amazing feature length documentary coming uh, from Matt Walsh in the month of May on that topic. But um, as we've been watching those events play out for a while, we actually haven't engaged, I think, in this forum and what we used to do in the old days of the show, which is talk about it kind of in a
5: philosophical, religious, political context as opposed to just news of, mm-hmm. news of the week. So, I mean, so I, I, t- I talked on the podcast the other day about this issue because I, not just because obviously it's perverse. Um, but because it really says something about where we are as a society. And what it says about where we are as a society is that the cult of authenticity has completely destroyed entire generations of people. And now you have adults who are addicted to their own authenticity to the point where they feel the need to indoctrinate children so that the children validate their own views of the world and their own activities. There's been a lot of debate about use the term grooming on the right. Yeah. What I've said on the show is I don't think that all of these teachers who are doing this are grooming the kids so that they can have sex with the kids. I do think that they are politically grooming the kids so that the kids will agree with them and approve of their lifestyles. And they openly say this. That is not a theory. That is just yeah, a thing that right. they say openly. They will say that parents are the real problems here because parents are the barriers to a better, more tolerant world. And so if we take your kids away from you, yeah. like Plato's either Fake or real republic, right? And 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 we take the kids away and we reindoctrinate them like Pol Pot would, except in, in sexual theories of the left, then we will have created a better world for ourselves and we will also create a better world for children. And this runs so directly against human nature. It's it, it is unspeakable. I mean, what they're attempting to do with kids is unspeakable. There's a whole article from Derek Thompson in The Atlantic the other day about the rising rates of of mental illness and suicide, suicidal ideation among kids. And the answer to this is very clear. When you have a left wing that is teaching people that it is wrong to civilize your kids, that it is wrong to impose rules on your kids and to set rules for your kids, that the greatest way you can parent and the greatest way you can bring up a kid is to destroy all of those rules and all of those rules, and then tell kids when they're 15 years old at the stupidest point in their entire life, choose your gender, choose your sexual orientation. And, and you only get cheered, by the way. You only get cheered if you yeah. say that you're a non-cisgender pansexual. You are destroying children. You are destroying minors, and you are doing this purposefully. The the, the the
1: rates of suicide in
5: this country are about to skyrocket like nobody's ever seen over the course of the next 10 years.
1: I think, I also think the grooming is happening in the in kind of the pedophilic sense as well, though, because, you know, what we have to realize is that all of this stuff, there is a, a real effort to actually sexualize children. I mean, this comprehensive sex education, you could trace back to Alfred Kinsey, and that's where, that's where it comes from, and he believed that children were sexual from birth, and he had all kinds Wilhelm, of horrific, Wilhelm Reich or Right, so that, that's where you trace all this stuff back to. So it, it's it's grooming in that kind of general sense, but it also is. I think using grooming in a kind of pedophilia way is, is also correct. Well, I, is, I don't think that it's, I, I agree with Ben that, I, I agree with you that grooming is happening in kind of a
2: macro, and that there are also very specific instances of grooming that are taking place. I, I think the point that you're making is that the average teacher engaging in this behavior it's not engaging in a direct and purposeful act of grooming no, a child for I, sex I, see, I, the but they but they but they are promulgating uh, they are are to convert the child I, I in order to a political and social I dis-
3: I disagree with this because I think that they are in fact grooming the child for a world in which nor- uh, pedophilia is normalized and I think that and I think that I, I you, don't think we're I, I don't think we're all not saying, saying we're not disagreeing I mean
5: what, the proposition on the table is whether they are literally taking this child and teaching this kid about sex they can then have sex with this child They're, right and the right? average
2: that the average teacher Promulgating this worldview is not engaged in that direct. Behavior. Correct. I think there's. They are doing what you're
5: there saying. There's some people who are, and those people, you know, obviously but should not only actually go. Actually, a, a, be, a you know, lot of I a lot of adults sure. in the public
1: school system are doing that. That's a well. It that's is, a, we're, that's we're, another we're, piece of this problem is that actually there's a there's a real sexual abuse epidemic in the school system that's been going on for years. I mean, the Department of Education did a study back in 2004 and found that uh, it was something like four million kids at that yeah, at that, that time. The rates of abuse were,
4: in the public schools are about. Twice that of even the Catholic Church at the height of the scandal. One hundred so, times that.
1: Or, right, it depends on the measurement. It depends yeah. on the measurement. Yeah. Depends yeah. how you measure yeah. it, but it's, but it's it, but,
5: significantly more. But the, uh, the the reason that I'm I'm hesitant to to make it all about the minority of teachers who are actively attempting to sexually abuse children is because I think the issue is way broader than that. Meaning that mm-hmm. the real wrong that I think that is going to destroy an entire generation of children is not the minority of teachers who legitimately are going to engage in pedophilic acts with children. It's I think the, it's, I, I, the, the, the major issue across the country is that school districts all across America are indoctrinating small kids into these perverse yeah. ideas about what it means to be happy.
2: And that the people doing it don't question their own motives. And that when, the, one of the challenges when we on the right say that it's grooming, it's not that we aren't right in many, sort of, in many sorts of ways. But to the, to the individual teacher who is not themselves attempting to have sex with one of their students, but who is engaged in promulgating these, these perverse well, views... They, they, It it gives them an excuse. The key word here is
4: that word you said, Ben, which is authenticity. And I totally think you're right. But the irony, of course, is that the little boy who either thinks he's a girl or who just has been told by his teacher that he is a girl, Mm. he is not authentically a girl. He is authentically a boy, and he's being told to be inauthentic. When we use this phrase gender-affirming therapy, it's ironic because you're not affirming their gender. It's sex-denying. It's It's sex-denying.
3: The problem we have on the right, though, is that, you know, they, they bring out, Ron DeSantis brings out a uh, a bill that keeps teachers from doing this, from foisting this nonsense on, on these children. And the left immediately calls it the don't say gay bill. The entire press calls it the don't say gay bill. Nobody debates whether it should be called the don't say right. gay bill. Even though, But we say, come back with a great line, which is. Okay, groomer, which I thought was one of the great right-wing lines, and suddenly at NRO they're sitting around going, "What well, should we really call it, right. grooming?" And that, my feeling—oh is- no, I mean, listen, I don't think any, I don't think anybody <laughs> on the bent,
5: left you know? has right. any grounds to stand on when it comes to the abuse of language yeah. and the lies about language that are told. But and I'm not even—we saying-
3: question
2: ourselves when we, right? And right. By the way, I'm not, as much as I know, it's not a popular position. I'll take the, the least popular position at the table. From a. If the only question is a question of politics, I agree with you. Yeah, I actually prefer uh, prefer Vivek Ramaswamy's line that we should call it the Wait Till Eight Bill because it actually is very descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> very descriptive. The, the Wait Till Eight Bill, but uh, <laughs> so on a political level, I agree. Where where I disagree is on the sort of the 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 efficacy at the individual teacher level. That if if I'm doing something that I think is good and I don't have a sexual motive, and you call me a pedophile. That doesn't cause me to reflect on my behavior. It causes me to defend
3: my behavior. But no, I guess I, the question... I, 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 no, I, you know, I, I, I agree with what I thought you were going to say, which is that we should discuss things and we should actually... We on the right should actually talk about things as opposed to the left. But no, I'm not trying to convince that teacher. I, no, I, I actually... I want to drive the to, teacher. I'll, I'll that teacher, take, I think I'll take should, should, should be arrested. So I'll, t- I'll I, take, I'll I, take I, up Jeremy's... I don't, wanna, I don't care about that. I want to convince the country that but, these but people should be shut But do you think that
2: every teacher in America
3: who is is
1: wrapped up in these curriculum, should be arrested? Is, no, no think, but it's well, shame. You're, not al- not you're actually, also putting, it, you're, you're, you're you're putting shame on this shameful activity. Yes. Part, they, that's part of what you're doing, which is which is what we should be doing. So if that teacher feels ashamed... And because stops doing, it, well, stops doing it, it, that's, than, that's, it. It's a shameful shame. thing Plus, that they're doing to so kids. And here, here, that's, here, here, that's I
5: have no problem with the shaming. I don't even have a problem with the use of the term groomer. I have a problem with what I think happened here. I think one of the things that happened here is people started using OK Groomer. And I also thought, that's pretty funny. And not only is it funny, it's really not a specific term as people on the left immediately took it to be and then twisted it. Because when I saw okay, groomer, I read it as they are politically grooming children right. and sexualizing children in order so they'll reflect their points right. of view. Yeah, yeah. And the left immediately took that and in order to take the word away, they said, oh, what you really mean is that mm. all these teachers are going to rape that's small right. children, yes. that's right. right? And what the, that's and that that's not what I think most people actually meant when they said groomer. I don't think that everybody who says groomer means oh, these it means teachers you're cultivating are, a sexual identity. Correct. I agree. So I, but, so so the the point that I'm making is that we should clarify what we mean by. It, mainly because it actually broadens the appeal of the argument. Most of the te- most of the people who are going to agree with us on this issue, which is the majority of the American people agree. The right. teachers are perverting uh, of children. Both, of both parties, by the way. Of both parties yeah. agree. The teachers should not be teaching kids this stuff because it is bad and evil to sexualize children. Yep. They don't agree on a broad level that. All these teachers actively want to have sex with the children. Right. So, so this is so. I so I'm. What I'm saying is that I don't think it's a political winner to accuse all these people of pedophilia. I think it's a political winner to accuse all of them of perverting children for
1: their own but, sick political. So clarify matter. what you mean, but we clarify what we mean, but keep using the word. I'm yes, like, yes. Yes. But, sure. but, yeah. that, that's, that's one funny. thing. We, we, so, what we cannot to... do is back off of it and say, okay, well, we'll, we'll find a different word. Right. I I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I've used. I've,
5: uh, what or... I've done on the only thing I've done on my program is when I discuss it, I I, I just say political grooming, just to clarify what I'm using. So I'm using the same word. Michael? Sure.
4: No, I I want to take the left-wing argument and steel man it as best I can because I think they do make one point. When they're arguing against this Florida bill, they say, well, no, look, we're not talking about transing the kids or drag shows in kindergarten. But if I'm in a math class and I'm writing a math problem, am I not allowed to refer to Johnny's two dads? Or am I not allowed to refer to a they or an intersex or a pansexual or whatever? I can't bring it up even, you know, casually. And so the answer from the bill is, no, you can't. Just right. don't talk about sex. Wait, wait till 8. Wait till 8. <laughs> but but it does raise this bigger problem. If you're in kindergarten storytime class, there's going to be you're probably going to talk about a, a marriage or a family. That's probably going to come up in some storybook. Well, I guess that's kind of sexual education. And really what you are saying is, no, you're not going to talk about transsexuality or any kind of more modern sexual ideology. So then don't you get to the question of, don't we just need to say the reason you can't teach your kids about transgenderism in kindergarten is because it's not true. Because, because boys can't be no, girls. No, That's exactly I, I, right. no,
3: I you know, I I would go further than that. I think we have the right to defend the norm. Yeah. There is no Bingo. such thing, or if there is a, such a thing, it is an anomalous. But there is really no such thing as a parent who wants their child to mm. not become a parent of another child. That is what we're yep. here for. That's what our bodies do. We want our children to go off and get married as we got married, form a family. We want to see our grandkids. That's all the things that we want, that, that we should be loving and accepting of people who can't participate in that. If your child is gay, like my child is gay, you know, I, lo- I love the kid to death. You all know that. But it ha- But it But, you know. I want my kids to marry the opposite-sex person and have children. That's what we all want. That's what the norm is. And we have a right to defend that norm. It's a human yeah. norm. It's not a cultural and norm. I think it's, it is a human one. That's that's a really,
1: that, it's a really important point, too. We, we talked a little bit off, off air. I, I think this is where the right can lose on this issue. I think, I think this should be a winning issue, the trans, gender ideology. Uh, we, we obviously are correct. It's common sense. And most people, when you explain it to them, even if they're not political, they, they are going to be on our side. Where we could lose it, though, is where we say where we where we focus almost almost too much on the kids, and we say, "Well, we're yeah, we just we just leave the kids out of this." But we're not criticizing transgenderism in general; just leave the kids away from it. I agree. Um, Our message has to be fundamentally, like you said the reason we don't want the kids taught this stuff is because it's false and harmful. You wouldn't and teach a kid it, that two plus two equals seven. Right, like, and, it, and it, will, it will send them barreling into a life of despair, and we're going to have, a, we're gonna have a, a wave of a mass wave of suicides coming, even worse than what we have right now with kids, when 10, 20 years from now, they're looking around and saying, what, are, what did you people let me do to myself I mean, The, the, I the, the stats on this are, are pretty
5: clear, and it's, it's amazing to me. Nobody, frankly, has the balls to actually say it, but the, but the yes. stats are very clear <laughs> that... that, that yeah. I mean according to Gallup polls, 0.8% of people born before 1945 identify as LGBTQ. For people who were born between 1997 and 2003, that number is 20.8%. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if you if you go if you go to people who are even younger than that, if you're going to go to the 12-18 crowd, cuz remember everybody who's born in 2003 is now 19. So if you're going to people who are born in the 5-year period after that, I would guarantee you it's at least 25 to 30%. Yeah. Right? And so if you're looking at that group and then you look at the suicidal ideation rates among LGBTQ, you're talking about suicidal ideation rates that are in the 40% range as opposed to the general population where it's closer to 10 to 15% among teen girls, for example, maybe 8% among teen boys. So what you're doing is you are taking an entire population of people who are not gonna be suicidally ideated and you are celebrating them for selecting into a population Mm -hmm. that is having very, very high suicide rates. And almost almost 30% attempted suicide rates. Right, in in the trans community, yes. For for people who who identify as transgender, the actual suicide attempt rate is depending on which group you're looking at, between 40 and 50 percent. I mean, these are insane statistics. And you're telling people that they will be celebrated and they will be cheered if they come out and and engage in this behavior. And then you're saying that you're helping kids by doing this. And not only that, we know that if you actually, if a kid is genuinely dealing with this, not they've got rapid onset gender dysphoria and all their friends are doing, but they actually have some form of gender dysphoria, we know that 70 to 90% of those kids are simply going to desist, but we know that 100% of kids who are given puberty blockers end up moving on to further states of transitioning. So you are actively locking people in to a to a to a choice that is going to I, I harm them dramatically. You're saying you're, 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 this isn't happening. It's just insane. It's yeah, insane. You're, you're it's a social contagion. There is no way that evolutionary biology suggests that in the course of one generation you go from five percent of the population identifying as LGBTQ to thirty percent.
3: Unless something's in the watering. But this is an important point because it points out the depth of the dishonesty. It's not just when they tell us that somebody who declares himself a female is automatically a female, which is incredibly dishonest. But it's also dishonest about the human condition. I mean, we know as you're talking about evolutionary biology we know what we're here to do is reproduce we know that there's pain when you do not fulfill n- nature's template of a man i think men, men feel bad when they're not soldiers let alone you know when they when they actually are not sleeping with a woman and creating more children you know this is what we're here to do that there's pain involved in that and tragedy any straight, any uh, honest gay person will tell you. Any honest gay person will tell you that being gay comes along with a certain amount of pain. Now we can be loving and accepting and uh, understanding of that, but to foist it on people as as not only not only uh, normal, but also as the only way you can avoid the evil of being a white person. You yeah. know, in other words, some of these kids—that's their only—that's right. their only strategy to get out of being this, the bad guy.
5: So this goes back to the authenticity point that I was making earlier. So if you believe that. One part, and I, I think the largest part, of, of human happiness lies in becoming a civilized human being, which is to say that you civilize to the major institutions that make you happy in life, being a father, being a, being a, a friend, being a, a person who, who protects, being a husband, right? All of these things. That, that is a ma- not, maybe not just a major part of life. Maybe all of life is in that. But then you're told by society that authenticity is to be measured by how many roles you shuck off. How many, how many roles you get rid of, right? If you blow up the role, because you can't yeah. really be yourself unless you destroy those roles and you break the rules. It's the rule breakers and the, and the people who destroy the roles who are the most authentic. So we can measure how authentic you are by how many of these things you destroy. Is there, any, is there any rational reason why the more authenticity you seek, the more unhappy you are? You are literally taking the things that make human beings happy and you are destroying them for the sake of supposed authenticity that lies within and really is not your own authenticity. So, it's a reflection of the social media idiots who are, who are
1: echoing you. Right, it's authenticity Ironically, that relies—it becomes a communal project. Right. It's authenticity that relies desperately on the affirmation and the acceptance of 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 everybody else. So it's like you're you're—we're giving kids this identity that's now that, 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 and that by now the is way,
4: that th- affirmation will not suffice. Even that right. will not it suffice. It doesn't actually, change the reality. Right. right. and
1: That's why it's it's like for, for me as a as a man, if somebody calls me a woman, it's just it's absurd. It doesn't cause any problems for me. I just laugh at you. But this this identity we're giving to kids, if you misgender them, which would be to correctly gender them, it's just it, their whole world falls apart because they're utterly dependent on yeah. society to constantly affirm
0: Because it's, it's, an,
1: it's an act of violence in their view for you to
2: subject them to reality or, or, to, or to shatter their sort of... Delusions. Delusions. Yeah. Also, I mean, this is why it
5: has to be culturally crammed down. Right. This is why Disney's doing what it's doing.
2: I love you guys. I love our advertisers more. You've heard me talk <laughs> about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy, but Choosing a VPN that you actually trust is equally as important. I only recommend brands that I believe in, and I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's how I know this is true. My head of security actually came to me and said, Jeremy, you idiot. Uh, ExpressVPN is not only a great sponsor, but a great product. You insist that other people use it. You are an idiot if you do not use it. (laughs) And as it turns out, They were right, (laughs) (laughs) and they're very smart about these things. First, ExpressVPN doesn't log your online activity. Lots of cheap or even free uh, VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They have even developed a technology that makes their VPN services incapable of storing any data at all. Second, ExpressVPN is lightning fast. Other VPNs might slow your connection, but ExpressVPN is always blazing fast. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart is how easy it is to use. You don't need any technical skills. You just set it up, fire up the app, tap one button to connect, that's it. Even your grandparents could do it. Even I could do it under duress when being forced by my head of security. That's how simple it is. And it's not just me saying this. I mean, it's obviously my head of security and all of these guys. But Business Insider, The Verge, many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So please, protect yourself with a VPN that I now use and that I trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash backstage today. That's expressvpn.com slash backstage because not just Ben gets a promo code. Expressvpn.com slash backstage. Visit expressvpn.com slash backstage to learn more. And we have a great question that's come in from one of our dailywire.com members. These guys, incredibly important to us. They make it possible for us to do the work that we're doing. You can become a member by heading over to dailywire.com slash subscribe Right now, in our battle against Disney, we are running a promotion. They wrote down the promo code for me because I forget everything. Dailywire.com/slash/subscribe. Enter code Build the Future, and you get forty-five percent off of your membership. You can do that right now, but only for the next twenty-four hours. This is the longest period of time that we have ever run a promo uh, that gave you this deep of a discount, and it's because we've made our major announcements that we're taking the fight to Disney, getting into the kids' content game. Uh, so more than ever, we depend. On our DailyWire.com members, please become one. DailyWire.com/slash subscribe. Get forty-five percent off for the next twenty-four hours. Here's the question from one of our said members: How does it, how does it feel that you guys have been the catalyst for the changing of the national political landscape and cultural landscape? How does it make us feel that we've had the kind of impact, I suppose?
5: Uh, that we've been it, able it, to the First of all, I'm glad that we hired somebody to send that question. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> it, feels, it feels great. I, I want to answer this question first because I feel like I was banging on this drum in a wilderness for 20 years. <laughs> and And really, dude, you know, you have actually done the stuff that I was making all these speeches about. And I kept making speeches and saying, you know, Fox News came on and they got fifty percent of the audience, basically. But they never said, "Well, let's do Fox movies. Let's do Fox comedy." Let's. And I could never understand that. And it was because they weren't you. And I think, no, and I, I, I flatter you, but it, but it actually is true. I think it is Thank an amazing thing. I think it's what is is needed. I love the fact that they don't do not know we are coming and we are going to destroy them because we are going to destroy them. This is this is fruit line on the ground, and and this is why this is why I don't get into a into inner discussions about whether we should use this word or that word, we should wipe them off the face (laughs) of the planet. Everything they believe is wrong. Every single thing they believe is wrong. They destroy our cities. They destroy our children. They destroy our marriages. I mean, the thing is, for most of us, 90% of us at least, the relationship between a man and a woman is one of the major consolations for a tragic life. This is a very difficult life. It has lots of pain, it ends in death. You know, no matter what you believe, that is, that's the truth of, of the life we're in. The love between a man and a woman is one of the most beautiful things in the world, and that, even that, even that they wanna poison. I saw this, I can't think of the right word, a punk go after you at one of your speeches, and he was yeah. screaming at you, and he was saying this is a white formulation. Well, B.S. I mean, you know, it, this is a universal thing. Every story, the one thing I know about a story is in every single story, in every single culture tells the journey of a man to become a man and a woman to become a woman. That not everybody makes that journey, that people have other journeys and that there are physical reasons for that. I'm, I'm fine with it. And, and, and I've always, listen, I've been in the arts all my life. Half the people I know are gay. They've been my best friends. They've been my uh, great associates, and I respect them, and I understand their worldview, and I understand what they want. This is not the norm. This is the, we have a right to the norm and the human beings mm-hmm. because it's creation. It, the norm is creation. The norm is what we were made to do. And I think God is a lot funnier than most people do. You know, I think he, he threw in a lot of variation, and we should respect that variation. But you can't be tolerant without a, um, a center, you know, and th- that we are making this argument and we are making the argument for the center, for the fact that this country is great, for the fact that freedom is great. And I'm just happy to speaking be here. I'm of, just happy that I'm still alive. And, and I'm just going to add for Media
5: yeah. Matters that asterisk. When he says white people off the earth, he does not mean that physically. <laughs> it just means the ideology should be
3: <laughs> <laughs> And you now think, Wait, continue. oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> speaking,
5: I'll, I'll try to get us some more Media Matters fact checks on this <laughs> point.
4: But, I, you know, speaking of diversity and variation here, I think that is kind of the point. In our first business, the first version of this business. Yeah. Yeah. We have we have more political diversity than any channel on the left or the right. <laughs> we've got through. the entire gamut of the right, yeah. it doesn't exist anywhere, and obviously the left is completely uniform. And we've taken that through every other new business that we're starting, the books and the movies and everything else. And it, it's it made me realize that being a unique company either could have completely killed us in the first 12 months, or it meant that it would be this rocket ship that we're on. When the game is rigged, you have to break the rules. Yeah. And that's exactly what, there are There are places for conservatives in our rigged liberal society. You're allowed to write certain columns on certain topics, you're allowed to maybe give a few speeches here or there, or even run for Congress, but there are things that you can't do and that's why we're always gonna be the losers and we're always gonna be the second party. And yeah. then DW walked up to the window, kicked the glass in, and just started
5: doing whatever the hell we want and it's taken off like well, a rocket. I, I want to say one thing about this, which is that what it makes me feel most of all is grateful, mainly, not just to God, of course, but, but grateful that we went out on a limb because we knew that there was an audience out there for all of this. Because we are a business. We are not a 501c3. Yeah. Right? And what that means is that everything that we do is driven first and foremost by looking at the market and seeing, is there a market for this? Because Jeremy and I had been talking about doing movies since we lit- literally our very first conversation we ever had together was, how do we make conservative movies? And you were doing Declaration Entertainment at the time, which was yeah. a 501c3, in which people gave money so that you could make movies. And it didn't go anywhere. And the reason it didn't go anywhere is because it was not a market-based business, and the market was not right, because the left had not pushed far enough to the left at that point. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I think is the most you know gratifying about all of this is the recognition that the reason we're winning is not because we're so great at this, although... To be honest, we are. But it's, <laughs> but it's because all of our supporters are there, right? They're the ones who are picking us up. They're the ones who are funding all of this. They're the ones who are making all of this happen. I mean, that, that's an amazing experience. I get a lot of questions all the time because, you know, uh, it, not as much as Jeremy, but I get, I get confronted a lot publicly and, and asked for pictures. Um, <laughs> some people know who I am. And, uh, yeah. and, when, and, and when that happens, I, I tend to be pretty nice about it, which is, runs counter both to my nature as well as to <laughs> um, Your nature <laughs> and your reputation. Right, and, yeah. uh, and but I'm asked about that. And, and I say the reason that I do that is because when I'm like an actor, when people come up to me and they say that they enjoy the show, what they mean is that they've been actually listening to the ideas that I'm promoting. That's and right. so the fact that our ideas are finding fertile ground that's the part that I'm really grateful for. The fact that there is a crowd out there that supports this and that feels emboldened by this and that feels energized by this and that wants to join the fight, that's what I feel really good about. Because, I mean, honestly, we would be doing this stuff for free and we did do this stuff for free for literally years, but we don't have to do this stuff for free anymore. And because we're not doing it for free, we're able to do so much more stuff, so much bigger stuff because of the people who support the agenda. And that's, I'm, I'm more optimistic about the country now than I was A year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. in many ways. Because I feel like the pushback has finally arrived. The pushback I think a lot of us have been waiting for.
2: One of the Uh, beautiful things about building alternatives is suddenly, which is what the right has not been doing for basically our entire lives, (laughs) uh, but suddenly when you begin building alternatives, everything the left does actually becomes an opportunity for us. Right. Like it becomes an opportunity (laughs) for us to succeed. You know, we we talked at at our town hall a few weeks ago about all the money that Disney is going to spend on kids' content. Uh, in this next year. And I thought, uh, bring it on. It's just direct advertising for us at this point. When they when they say the kinds of things that they've said over the last several weeks about their open agenda uh, with their children's content, I, I hope that they spend billions of dollars because I don't have billions of dollars to spend <laughs> telling people that they need to come over here. So I'm glad that they're telling them that they should come yeah. over here.
1: Yeah, I, Well, first of all, I just want to say that I personally should be getting more credit as, <laughs> As the trailblazer of children's content at Daily Wire. <laughs> no, there's no. As the and children's author. And as our top LGBT LGBTQ+. And, we, and, and women's and There's women so so many skulls, hats. Uh, rainbow, <laughs> rainbow plethora of hats. Um, but the other thing also is that, the, the, talking about the opportunity, it's like Hollywood is kind of reverting back to what conservative and Christian entertainment was in the 90s, where it's just, it's message first, story, script, acting second. And so this is kind of our opportunity to actually put the entertainment First and foremost. Have you seen what unbelievable hypocrites these jackasses
5: are? This story about how they took that new Harry Potter yes. spin-off, yes, first, of all, first of all, first of all, you know, that first of all, J.K. Rowling retconning Dumbledore into a gay man because she realized there was not enough wokeness in her series back in like 2009 it was hilarious. It made a
2: her a hero for about 5 minutes. For yeah. 5 minutes before they
5: realized she actually thought women existed. Yeah. she's a villain again, who's in league with Vladimir Putin by the way, which is a new one. But she but Hollywood decided that they were just going to remove all the gay references. From this movie, which is designed largely for preteens in China. Because China was like, no, we're not, we're not gonna show this movie, and you're gonna lose hundreds of millions of dollars unless you remove yeah. this six seconds that that is in this movie, basically just to please Glad. And Hollywood was like, well, you know, it's very important people in China see this movie. Mm-hmm. Very, very important <laughs> people in China see this movie. And so, so this tells me two things. One, these people have no principles at all. No. And two, this is actually really good news. They are responsive to a market if the market says no to them. That's right. And this is really good because our agenda is not just to provide a competitor for these folks. It's to show them that we are a competitor to them so that they stop doing this. So that they compete. Because right. right now they don't compete for our business; they take our business for granted. Did you see? A, a, I want to take my kids to Disneyland. I don't want my kids to go to Disneyland where they won't see ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Right, you, so I'd like them to go back to saying ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, because as it turns out, that is the entire spectrum of humanity. There are no other people.
4: <laughs> did you see at Dallas Love Airport? They're they're trying out these new seven foot tall robots that have cameras. They make announcements. They have cameras, and if you're not wearing your mask, they're going to yell at you for not wearing your mask. Really? And they can call the cops. They're just trying them out, but they're. There, there's a possibility they'll roll these things out at other airports. They're called Karens. They're, call, yeah. they're called, yeah. yes, the Karen machine. And it, it got me thinking. Uh, so now we've got surveillance everywhere. We've got robots yelling on us to muzzle ourselves. Uh, it, America is now a lot like China, except the movies are just a little gayer. You know, the movies are just a little more woke. But it, that's a very scary thing when you see it in the politics and the corporations. If you don't fight back now, if you don't get Elon to buy Twitter, if you don't start pushing back on that whole apparatus, just suffocates
3: loved. Him. I love the people at uh, Twitter complaining that Elon was going to stop them from censoring conservatives. You know? it's like, <laughs> this guy, I mean, at least they're open about
5: it. You know, Washington Post had an entire article. From Jeff Bezos. Democracy dies in darkness, right? The Democracy dies in darkness, but we need more darkness or, and we, or else democracy will and die. we
3: can't have rich people telling us what to say. Yeah, we
5: definitely cannot.
3: Can we, Mr. Bezos? No, no, you can't <laughs>
5: have that. <laughs> but it, it is, again, I'm, I'm very gratified that they're. I think the pushback this year is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. And I think, frankly, that the biggest vulnerability is something that Matt has mentioned before, and that is need Republicans, man. I mean, I, if I have oh to watch man, Spencer Cox, the Utah governor, refer to his own he gender pronouns again, him. Utah is the reddest state in America. Well, well, the okay, Mormons like, what like
1: in this. the world is happening? The
3: Mormons here? will tell you this. The Mormons are very left-wing uh,
1: religious, you know, they're very culturally left. I think it's the, very it's weird. guys like Spencer Cox, he's kind of betting on... The anti-gender ideology backlash among conservatives is sort of a trend. It's a fad and we'll get over it and we'll get back to, you know, focusing on taxes and all the rest of it. <laughs> but I think, that's, I think that's the wrong bet. I think this is something people are going to find You fight. know, it's,
2: al- it's also this, it's just the cult of niceness. Yep. Yeah. And ni- nicest, nice, niceness is not goodness. Niceness is no, not
3: righteous. But I think, we, I think we should remain. I think we should remain loving and accepting of people. Loving and accepting is not the yeah, same as no. Nice. Of course not. Yeah. But but I mean, I think we should remain loving and accepting, but
1: understand. Well, loving but not accepting necessarily.
3: But but you know, the thing is, the thing is, in order to be accepting, you need a norm. You know, <laughs> when you're an yeah. artist, you're an oddball. You know, you're outside mm-hmm. of the norm. I've I've, all my life I've known that like I I'm here I'm living in the house of the garbage man and the cop and the and the businessman I've always understood that you know that I'm I'm like the entertainer I'm the guy hopefully I entertain and enlighten and all do all that stuff but I'm not the guy who builds the house Hmm. I I live in the house I mean Homer lives in the house of the soldiers you know that's that's the way it is if the soldiers aren't there there's no Homer if Homer's not there there's still soldiers you know they can live and and I think that understanding that you're not at the center of things makes you more valuable in what you do, if you do it well, and if you serve the center. I, I do not understand, I do not understand why we on the right should accept every single argument for destroying the things that make the country free and good, you know? yeah.
2: Our friends over at Policy Genius have made things free and good. <laughs> uh, they've given us the opportunity to provide for our loved ones. They've given us the opportunity to protect our assets. Uh, and when I say we, I mean me. I use policygenius.com because it truly is the most convenient way to engage with insurance. If someone relies on your financial support, well, then you need life insurance. Typically, life insurance gets more expensive as you age, so it's smart to get a policy sooner rather than later. That's why there's Policy Genius. Policy Genius is your one-stop shop. To buy the insurance that you need at the right price, simply head over to policygenius.com, answer a few quick questions, and in just minutes, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. You can save 50% or even more on life insurance just by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The team of licensed experts at Policy Genius are on hand throughout the entire process to help you understand your options and to make the best decisions possible with confidence. The Policy Genius team, they work for you. They don't work for the insurance companies. So, whether you're just starting to shop or have questions about your active policy, they're your independent advocates offering unbiased advice. Just head over to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes. And see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Again, life insurance, especially if you're a parent, especially if people depend on your, uh, on your ability to provide for them financially, really is an obligation. Do the right thing. Head to policygenius.com. And we have another question from one of the members that Ben so eloquently uh, pointed out. Uh, pay our bills. And make it possible for us to engage uh, in the cultural battles that we're engaged in at The Daily Wire. How can we help people understand that life involves pain and that not everything it's supposed to
3: be easy. <laughs> that's like that's like the great question. Well, yeah, How the hell should we know?
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you just wait around long enough.
3: Yeah, they'll, they'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, they'll figure it out. Well, yeah, out.
5: They're, they're, the, the, the first thing is that we... Uh, Teaching gratitude, right? I mean, mm, the, the yeah. understanding that life is not supposed to be easy is is the first step toward becoming a grateful person, which means being a happy person. Um, because then you're grateful for the good stuff that happens, rather than ungrateful for the bad stuff that happens. Yeah. And there's a, a picture for the the Kansas City Royals and Dan Quisenberry, and he he had passed away of brain cancer. I believe in the '90s. And when he was diagnosed with brain cancer, he said he's still you know upbeat, and people are asking him why are you so upbeat. He said, well, because when most people would ask me, like, people go into this mode and they say, why me? And he said, well, why not me? I mean, that's kind of meaning, like, that, that, that is unfortunately life. I mean, just bad stuff happens to everyone. And the question is, how grateful are you going to be for the good stuff that happens to you? And I think that because we, uh, I've said this before, but I think that maybe the most meaningful single verse in the Bible after human beings are made in the image of God uh, is, Yeshurun got fat and kicked. I think that's the, that's the description of all civilized societies. It's from uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, the the idea being that once you once you live in a fat and happy society, you forget there's supposed to be pain. You forget that that God is protecting you from a lot of these things, you forgot the foundations of your society that allowed you to escape that pain. You start wailing away at those foundations with a sledgehammer, and then you're shocked when the building comes caving in on you. And, and yeah. so, you know, I, I, I think that we are privileged to have lived in the freest, most prosperous country in the history of the world. And so we are not used to any level of pain to the point where we're idiots about even Allowing certain baseline levels of risk to exist in our lives, which is why we're masking up two-year-olds on planes still.
3: But it, right? it, it's yeah. a re- you know it's an interesting point that uh, there's a great writer that I just discovered this year named Thomas Traherne who wrote what C.S. Lewis called the most beautiful book in the world. If you've never read this, It's, it's a wonderful book. Uh, but but he talks about this. He talks about a, this exact thing that. Every day you wake up and like the sun is still there and you don't see it. You know, you don't see that the sun is there and it it provides all this heat and warmth and, you know, gives you the vegetational. You do not see it. But when things go wrong, you say, why me? But you didn't ask all the other days. Hmm. Why me? Why, why am I here? Why do I get to do this? Why do I get to live? You know, th- where <laughs> you were know, you
4: when I created the, where were,
3: the where, you know, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is a thing that every day is a day and every day is like this kind of celebration of life. And yeah, it I adds. do have an important tool
4: too here, which is th- this is as a, an attitudinal matter, probably the central Catholic insight, which is suffering is not necessarily bad. Right. Suffer, you know, you get the caricature of a Catholic like flogging himself and running down the street bleeding. But, but there's a lot of wisdom in, in recognizing suffering is, as you say, Ben, it's a fact. It's neither morally good or morally bad. It's just something that you will encounter. And so you do have a moral choice here, though. And the moral choice is how you react to the inevitable yes. suffering that you will endure. Yes, that's just the core of free will. Will you do it in a way that is destructive and harms you and harms the people around you? Or will you do it in a way that is edifying? Yeah. I think spiritually edifying, but certainly even just physically edifying. You know, the old, whatever doesn't kill me makes makes me stronger. How are you going, that's the only thing in your control. You're not, you are not gonna avoid suffering. So how are you gonna to react to it when it and comes? It,
3: to? And it's such a mystery, the people who are political, uh, you know. Prisoners and political victims who get tortured, who get imprisoned, and who come out saying, "Like, no, now I get it. Now I understand." And you know, Solzhenitsyn is a good one. Well, Victor Frankl writes about Victor Frankl? Oh yeah. my God, in, what a great in, book that in is! In "Man's
5: yeah. Search for Meaning." He writes oh. at length about the idea that you can be in a prison camp; they're executing all of your friends by shoving them into gas yeah. chambers, but you still have the choice in how to address even that situation. That's yep. that's that is, the root of that is choice. such
3: a great book. And a guy who was, you know, a guy who was kind of pushed to the side because he invented a therapy that actually depended on gratitude and God, which I think was they were actually working to push aside. It's a wonderful. That's it's awesome.
4: also the meaning of freedom. If, if you are simply the victim of circumstance and you take suffering as depriving you of choice, yeah. then you're not free. Then you are a slave. But if you can actually be facing the gas chamber, the firing line, a lion in the Colosseum, and say, no, I, you actually can't take from me my dignity. You can't take from me my faith and
2: my hope.
3: You're you're a truly free. And, and, I, I, and by the way, I agree with you as a person who will av- avoid suffering in every possible. You no, know, it's course. like they say everybody wants to go I to heaven, even, but nobody wants I to die. I think that is
2: an aspect of this that we haven't hit on, which is that the the desire to avoid suffering or the the desire uh, to make life easier than it might ordinarily be is a great motivating desire in the market. Yes. I mean, yeah. it causes us to to create new technologies. It causes us to create new therapies. Causes us to create for it, yeah. to create the, the the world, right? That the 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 mistake is to believe that simply because man can take steps to mitigate against pain and suffering, pain and suffering aren't the natural uh, uh, part of the natural. Right. State. And the
1: other mistake is thinking that we've talked before about the definition of rights. So, the modern attitude is that actually you have a right to be to a life free of of suffering. You have a, a right to the avoidance of suffering, which actually brings us back to the kind of the gender ideology conversation because you, you hear it there a lot where for example you know uh well you got to give someone puberty blockers because they didn't consent to puberty and uh, and puberty <laughs> so or, say this this is a real right, argument there's a real thing I I argument. did not consent to this thing happening to my body it makes me uncomfortable and so therefore I have a right to stop it right but it's, yeah, that's when, the natural order of when,
2: things when when I was 8 or 10 years old my uh, one one of my uncle's wives uh broke wind in a public setting uh and immediately thereupon said, I can't believe that did that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Obviously, it's a funny line and it stuck with me. But it, it is part of this sort of the, the, the heresy of the moment to believe that your own body is apart from you. Mm-hmm. That your yeah. own body oh, is back to at-
5: Cartesian duality now. And it's, yeah, and yeah. We, we've been trying, I mean, one of the great Catholic insights is, of course, that we are embodied human beings. Right. Um, and uh, this is, you know, I mean, which is true for, I think, virtually all major religions, is that you're an embodied human being. But the Cartesian duality that has been so thoroughly debunked is back in with, with vengeance and all this. Oh, yeah. I, also, I also think that the we need to separate out types of pain here. So there, we, we've been talking about the natural pain that's just a part of life illness, death, real suffering. And then there's pain that people just wish to avoid because they wish to avoid anything that is difficult for them to do. And that's obligation. And that's not pain, right? I mean, I think that, that we, we in Western society have largely conflated the notion of obligation with pain because obligation is a burden and burdens are innately more difficult. That's why they are called burdens. But what we fail to realize is that those obligations are what make life fulfilling. The more obligations you take on in your life, this is, you know, Jordan Peterson makes this point a lot, but it's, but it's true long before Jordan was saying it. The obligations we take on in our lives are the things that make us the most human. They are the things that define who we are. Those choices we make to take on having a wife, having children, or getting you know, getting married, having friends, being a building part of your community, these are all a pain in the butt. But when we say they're pain in the butt, we don't actually mean that they're physically painful or that they're painful in the way cancer is painful. What we mean is that they are additional obligations. But a life free of obligation is also a life free of all of the bonds that actually root you a life in a community life. and root you to the things that make you happy Discipline.
2: The, the word that we're looking for is discipline. The Bible says that God disciplines those whom he loves. It doesn't say he punishes those whom he loves. That's a completely different concept. Discipline, you know. It's by discipline that you graduated law school. It's by discipline that you write so many crappy books. It's by discipline that you
0: avoid writing <laughs> <Yeah>. books.
2: <laughs> All of that is a great discipline, right? You're, you're working against, your, uh, against your, your worst impulses in service of perhaps some of your better, uh, uh, your, you know, the better you that can be revealed through, through those actions. Working out is a discipline. Learning a language uh, is, is a discipline. And so there, it's not that there is no pain in discipline. Of course there is. Um, you know, if you, if you just use working out as an example, working out creates physical discomfort. But through the process of that discomfort, one is made stronger, and then one can absorb more discomfort. I mean, that's part of the beauty of discipline. I think that you know, I, I've heard pastors before say that God punishes those whom He loves, which I, I don't see any real evidence for that uh, in the text. But that He disciplines uh-huh. that He disciplines us. Certainly, that He allows us to face adversity uh, that we might gain strength. And when he, probably, I would say, ultimately,
5: He allows us to face. Uh, adversity so that we can learn humility. Can we talk about the working kind of Can we talk about the working out thing for a minute? Have you noticed that the left has suddenly become very very anti working out? No. Not just that, they're, like they're very like they, there's this whole thing online. It's too, a right wing uh, conspiracy, it, correct? That's right. A whole article recently. Where was I think that article? That's the article. It was better
1: than the New York Times.
5: Yeah, about how or Slate or something Salon. I can't. I can't remember. It was this little article right. about how it was right wing extremism. Yes. All these right wing extremists in there, and they're working out. And it's like well, it's I mean, unbelievable. unbelievable. I mean, Jane Fonda was doing workout videos back in the '80s. Now, <laughs> shortly after she was hobnobbing with the Viet Cong. So I'm pretty sure that this is not necessarily a right wing thing. But when did it be—the left has decided that they are so invested in breaking the bonds between cause and effect mm-hmm. that they will actively get angry at you if you're like, you know what? It would be better if you lost weight. Be better if you're, I
1: don't want to disabuse them of that because they want to get fat you and die. out of shape. <laughs> For the coming civil war, it's like a, it's probably better off. But,
5: but it's, it's, it, it, it is amazing. It is, it is I mean, is there's there was this whole article—there was this whole debate online today where, because Chank Uyghur was saying that, that yeah. Joe Rogan and Tim Poole and all these— and all these crazy right wingers, and they named a bunch of people who aren't right wing. And he's like, all these people they are very into working out, and that's just, and they pretend that it's because they're anti-obesity. It's just because they hate fat people. It's obesity phobic, and they're, they're, it's all cover for their like Bill Maher. It's all cover for how much they hate fat people when they tell fat people to lose weight. And it's you like know
3: you know, it's really weird.
5: Every condition is worse because of obesity. I don't understand. In like the, what?
3: In the New York Times op-ed page, if almost every other day, but certainly every week, there's an article from by someone saying, usually a woman, saying, I'm miserable, and you can be miserable yep. too. Whereas, like, I, I get letters, because because I'm very big on, on moms and families and homemaking. I think that they're essential tools of both society and freedom. And I think the problem we have uh, with... With the problem I have with feminism is not that women shouldn't have a choice, but that it advises them against their best choice. What is often their best choice? Now, again, there are exceptions, but still, in in general, uh, this should be one of the elevated positions. It's a superpower society. for God. It's guess. a superpower, but not not just giving birth. Raising children—that's for, the superpower. forming. So that's the, it's, it's yeah, all mom. part of a giant superpower Trans, called raising kids. Houses yeah. into homes. I mean, this is this is a major, major thing that supports everything, and we don't give it enough credit, and we don't support it now with feminism. We actually attack it, and I get letters. All the time, like every single day from women saying, you know what, I took your advice or I was encouraged to do this and now I'm so much happier. Whereas the New York Times actually has every week has uh, an article by a woman saying, boy, I'm miserable and you should do this, too, because, you know, then we'll all be miserable together. You know, you think like. Uh, yeah. By the way, oh, we'll all be miserable
5: hint. together is basically the leftist pitch. <laughs> that's right. It really is. From economics yeah. to social policy, it is all the leftist pitch. Yeah. We will, I'm, we will all be miserable together. Yeah. We'll be equal in our misery, and no one and, will and, be and, better. And, than. and, and yeah. that's utopia. Yeah. Utopias. We are
1: all equal in our misery. Yeah, this is something that uh, I guess I can't say a lot about it. But making the the film, we we did. We went to Africa and. Uh, Easy now. Yeah. <laughs> Here we that's, go. In, that's in the, the teaser. So I can <laughs> you. Okay, okay. may want to leave this so chat just, for a while. The, the, the one thing I'll I will say is that you know, talking to a tribal uh, c- community in Africa, very focused on duty and obligation. Like that's everything is your roles and your responsibility. And it's not this is not a lifestyle that any of us would want to live. I mean, living in mud huts and so on. But because they, they knew what their duties and responsibilities were, they had they had no questions about their identity. You know, right. they, they didn't think about that. And uh, they were also, there was also certain contentment because you knew what you were supposed to do. And we, we've gotten rid of, of, of that sense of what are you supposed to do, so you lose your sense of identity. But or, are, this is a great point, Matt. Are, are conservatives willing to
4: articulate and defend, and dare I even use the word, enforce a norm? and say that not all norms need to be blown up, to Drew's point. I don't know that we are, because we're because we're nice guys and we don't actually care how people live their lives and we just kind of want to have a nice family and live in a nice society. Are we really willing to say, hey, don't chop off that body part? That's an important one, by the way. Doctors <laughs> shouldn't do that. Or are, are we really willing to do what... Our society uh, did only, for uh, only in the
3: moments, Only in moments like that when they're chopping people up and, and we're disgusted by it because of some natural disgust that we can't defend and debate. Right. Know, but but, it,
4: but nonetheless, it's but,
3: right. Right. I mean, the problem we have, and it is a serious intellectual philosophical problem, is we want to remain free. And we understand that in order to remain free, people have to behave in a moral and probably religious manner. But we can't enforce that religious manner because we want to remain free that's right it it is a genuine paradox
2: it is the it is the superman paradox that's right i always say that superman is is the secular american mythological god figure. that's what that's what superman is in our culture and of course which is why the left hates superman they always try to make (laughs) him less than that Uh, but you know the great problem of superman is that he has the power to defeat every evil thing but were he to act upon that power he would himself become Right, the evil thing, and so Superman has to content himself with stopping like petty criminals and getting rescuing cats out of trees, uh, because if he were to truly act as Superman, then he would then he would be Lex Luthor, right? right. Then he would then he would be the and that and that is that is the problem of free men. Well, the problem of the problem of free men is that in order to is 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 the paradox that one cannot enforce. So think I, I just thinking, like the left is better
3: cap, are better capitalists than we are so often. Yeah. You know, they make movies that, that are basically propaganda. We pay to see them. That's right. But in the same way, they are good at manipulating the culture, whereas we immediately say, like, we just need a law to this do that. This is also and the paradox. paradox well, actually, actually
5: it's fight. the left that always says we need a law. I think what, what the right is they, doing they is they a do do rearguard oh. action. What happens the left takes the law away from the right, and then the right says, okay, well, we need a law in response to fix that. And, and the law has to be equal and opposite. So if the left is forcing a certain behavior, we then have to ban... That behavior, right? And so the, the uh, I think that what, there's something, I've, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, like how you balance these things, how you achieve liberty without destroying roles, because it is true that liberty can be a universal acid that just destroys everything around it if it's left unbounded. And, including liberty. Including liberty, <laughs> including liberty, 100%. Uh, and uh, and you know, the, the, the solution that I keep coming back to is that, because this is so true in my own religious community and it's true in my life. In my religious community, there can be an enormous amount of social pressure to engage in particular behaviors. And there can be actual social consequences for failing to engage in certain behavior. And that is good and that is appropriate. If people don't like it, they can leave. And that's true in my local community. And as you abstract out, where you're now ruling over more and more people, You can't do that top down. What the left does is they impose secularism top down in order to destroy all the social fabric that exists at the local level. And what the right does in response to like, well, we can rebuild the social fabric by seizing the reins of power and then cramming down our values top down. But the truth is that real religion and real social capital cannot be built top down you can only destroy social capital top yeah. down so what you have to do is you have to create freedom up here so that you can build the social capital down here with all of the actual enforcement mechanisms that exist in all of our lives right there enforcement mechanism take the the most the, the basic unit right the family in the family there are tons there's a lot of compulsion in the family. There's a lot of social consequences in the family. These are also the closest bonds you'll ever have with any other human beings on planet earth. And that is perfectly appropriate. And that is right because this is the people who are, they m- most local to you. They're the people you agree with the most. They're the people with whom you share values. They're the people who you're going to share costs and benefits and, and pain and suffering with. Right. And so you can have a lot of, of you know, heavy handedness at the local level. That's what a family is. Yep. But as you abstract up the chain, I think it's a mistake for the right to think, okay, we can do what we do with the family up here because that's exactly what the left does. They I say we can do what excited. we should do up here, down here. And the, the right response should be, up here, we're going to have to understand that there's a lot of disagreement up here. And so the, the basic functions of government we cannot give mass enforcement power on on tons of issues yep. unless they're really extreme yeah uh, and, and there's wide agreement up here yep. but you know, down here we have to let we have the, to let this is, be built. the it, only
3: thing I would would say to this I, I I do believe I agree with everything you just said the only thing I would say is that we really do have to restore to the states a certain pa- like in other words I don't think it's can right. just well, commun- because the, the state
2: the state is one of the intervening institutions yes the, but the fundamental be. the fundamental institution is the religion between man and God. Uh, the the second institution is family, which is what Ben's talking about. Then you have religious, local religious, religious community, and you have, then local, you have community. local community. Old, Canada, state, ultimately you men have men states.
3: Fans. Right, but I think it's the state that that is. Under but,
2: but the I want to go one now. step further. You also have corporations. the The reason that we're in collapse right now, the thing that nobody ever really wants to talk about, is that the the final institution that the left has has really yep. rotted from the inside is corporate America. Mm-hmm. The the corporations in this country served in a, an incredibly vital civic role. Yeah. Until, I mean, honestly, until the last 15 years. Yep. You know, the states have been gone for almost a century. Yeah. The, the corporations have kept Americans It's first. funny, I was
3: just going to talk about this on my show on Friday. I, I completely... Then the corporations th-
2: th- replaced the church is what happened. That's right. But I, I just want to take a moment and compliment Ben because I actually think, as someone who's, uh, you know, I, I like to think one of the first people who, who recognized uh, your talent and what you could be beyond just your intellect. Um, I think this is the best idea that you've ever articulated. Uh, I think that, you know, I, we were on the phone when you sort of found language for this for the first time. And even hearing you say it again today, slightly more refined, I just think it's incredibly important. Which is to say that, uh, you know, one of, one of the great lessons, I think, of, t- of 2016 is that the right needed to, to actually fight with the same vigor with which the left has been fighting against us. But one of the wrong conclusions that we've come to since 2016 is that the techniques that promulgate leftism can be the exact same techniques that propagate. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's not true. Yeah, I agree. Religion is the only thing that can ultimately save uh, our freedom in our country, and religion cannot be enforced top down. And it's actually, it's not that the left, uh, the left didn't destroy religion where religion works. They destroyed the li- religion by taking away freedom. And I think that this, w- one of the things I hear on the right an awful lot now that I really disagree with, is that sort of this is the inevitable outcome of liberty. Well, you know, almost from the second that uh, George Washington chopped down the cherry tree, we were always going to have drag queen story hour. I'm like, well, that's just a nonsensical point of view. You, you can't treat history as though 250 years didn't happen <laughs> and as though every choice that was made was the only choice that could have possibly been made at all the millions of decision points that happened in between. You can certainly say this is this did flow from that, but you can't suggest this is the only thing that could have flown from it. And we think right now it's in vogue on the right to say, what we're dealing with now is the consequences of liberalism, meaning liberty, and the, an- not, not meaning leftism. Yeah. This is the yeah, consequence yeah. of liberalism, and the answer must be illiberalism. And I think, well, it's, it's actually fundamentally not true. We're not fundamentally dealing with the consequences of liberalism on the, on the left right now. We're dealing with the consequences of illiberalism on the left. We're, what, what's really got everyone so worked up since, essentially since 2012. I'll I'll say 2012 because I actually think the beginning of the Obama era. Uh, I disagree with the ascension of Obama. Country. I didn't I didn't vote for Barack Obama in 2008, but I do think that the ascension of Obama in 2008 is like w- was in some ways America's highest aspiration for itself. That we that's were, why he won. He had no accomplishments. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. But we were saying something about us. We were saying we have defeated this sort of historical mm-hmm. evil in the country. And then Barack Obama made an incredibly cynical political decision. At, uh, just before the midpoint of his tenure, yeah. which was he could he was elected as the there is no black America and there is no white America. There's the United States of America. He was reelected as a no, just kidding. There's only a white America and it's evil and we have to defeat it. Trayvon Martin's my son. Trayvon Martin's my yeah. son. Yeah, that's right. If I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. And from and from that moment, the left became utterly illiberal. And, and we're reacting, 2016 was a reaction to that illiberalism. It was a reaction to the fact that we were being told that we couldn't freely exercise our speech that we couldn't freely exercise our religion that we couldn't freely even exercise uh, our our base uh, uh, expressions of what reality was and we're react it's that illiberalism fundamentally that we've been reacting to and I think that this this Obama moment changed the country in so many profound ways including you brought this up a little bit ago the fact that uh, the fact that the don't don't say gay bill down in Florida, that that, that line, don't say gay, That's how the, that might as well be the name of the bill in all mainstream publications. Right. The, the actual Damn. centers of journalism for the country, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, they all, without a hint of self-awareness, identify the bill as the don't say gay bill. If we say Joe Biden is president, we will get a missing context fact check for not saying, and he is also a great president. And the <laughs> most popular president the most, ever. Yeah, yeah. They will fact check us for it. Yeah, The New York Times can refer to the legislation down in Florida as the don't get, say gay. Hey, well, it. they put
3: it in quotes, though. So yeah. that gives them... Yeah. The or they say, they say they're
2: so-called, they're the so-called but they won't say who calls. says the so-called. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in doing that, they're, they're promulgating a particular talking point of the left with absolutely no consequences. And it's because the illiberalism of Barack Obama fundamentally changed the relationship between news right. media but, but this oh, is yeah, the great example. This, this is this is
3: a- absolutely true and it's always true it's, it was true you know in the uh in the Spanish civil war that it was the socialism that uh you know that spread out through the community that caused the fascists to rise it's not right. you know we're, we're, the right is always reactionary this is why i am daily praying that this, the supreme court will have the guts to overturn roe v wade because in the same way that mm. the evil of slavery tainted states rights i think the evil of abortion has tainted the federal government and ha, and and it's a great point i think in, in the moment if if they have the guts to overturn it i think we will continue this trend of what is cultural federalism. People will start to move to states, not just because they can get a job there, but because people live the way they want to live. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. It could, if you follow the wrong track, it could lead to civil war. But if you follow the you know, a more optimistic path, it could mean that we do what we're supposed to do, which is experiment in our states with it's a it's different a terrific way of life.
2: Point. Uh, speaking of inequality, Every man here has a better night's sleep than I. (laughs) No way. And the reason (laughs) reason is simple. They all have Helix Sleep mattresses. Helix Sleep has a quiz on their website. It takes just two minutes to complete, and they will match you and your body type and your sleep preferences preferences with the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress that was made for someone else like I did, me, a dummy? (laughs) The reason, uh, the reason is because Helix Sleep had not offered me a wonderful mattress. They did offer wonderful mattresses to these guys. Subsequently, they offered me a terrific mattress. But because I'm a schmuck, a glutton for punishment, and because I like to continue to be able to complain about this on backstage, uh, I said no like a dummy. Helix Sleep is going to give you a mattress that you know will be perfect for just the way that you sleep. You know it's going to be a mattress that's just right for you. Everyone is unique, and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models for you to choose from. They have soft, medium, firm mattresses, mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot, or mattresses that are great for spinal alignment to prevent those morning aches and pains. Helix is flat out awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it because I wouldn't know. Take their words for it. <laughs> Look how well rested, Michael. Have you ever seen anybody who carries less stress day to day than Michael Knowles? I don't know. He's like a baby every night. <laughs> Helix has been recommended to me by some of the best hosts of the morning of the Daily Wire that I know and by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors from sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. Just head on over to uh, helixsleep.com/backstage, take that 2-minute sleep quiz, they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best night's sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights absolutely risk-free an unbelievable deal. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. They never have to do this because you're gonna love it. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders right now, plus two free pillows for all DailyWire.com listeners. Head over to helixsleep.com slash backstage.
1: I just want to make one point about you mentioned the Obama moment because I was thinking about this uh, this past week when we were hearing about Kintanji Jackson and, yeah. and she was a uh, Confirmed and and we're supposed to accept this as a as a great moment because we have a black woman on the Supreme Court. Wait, you don't know she's a woman, neither does she. Oh well, we don't we don't know that, right? But assuming for a second that she is a woman, that she is black, because I guess we don't really know that either. But um, you know, even if I wanted to accept that, it's like, well, you because of Obama, we've made racism, systemic yeah. racism, into an unfalsifiable theory. So they say. You know, last week, it's a big moment. We've achieved something. And the very next day, we're back to where we started. It's just like slavery How far we have to go. And that's that's what happened with Obama because they, they turned racism into this kind of like abstract thing that exists in the ether. And so you could ask them, well, okay, you say we have systemic racism or a racist country. What would you need to see happen to convince you otherwise? And there's literally nothing that can happen. We can't even elect a black president to convince you otherwise. And that—that's one of the things that's just ripping our country apart right no, now. No, they, what they will say I, is they I will say that, uh,
5: that what they will what they will say is the income of black Americans and white Americans will have to be identical. The number of college degrees between black Americans and white Americans per capita will have to be identical. In other words, we'll have to buck every trend that has ever been known to humanity, and two groups who are disparate in many
1: ways will have to be exactly the same in but outcome, even, no even, matter the inputs. But even that wouldn't. Even that wouldn't matter. I mean, John Stewart has been on this. Uh, oh. He he just recently discovered critical race theory, and so he's on this white guilt tour. And he on his show, which I didn't even know existed until last week, he was talking about how the the American dream is it doesn't exist for Black people. And his and his proof of this was the three fifths compromise. Like yeah, that. Right. That's the we have not improved since then. And, he, so, no, he and not know, only that, but
2: he's wrong about the three fifths compromise. The three fifths compromise yeah. is
1: one of the better kind of
2: concepts that the founders came up with, to long-term end slavery in America. They, per- they didn't say a black person is three-fifths of a human. They said, you know, it doesn't make sense, slave owners in the South, that you're going to count your unrepresented, unable-to-vote-and-unable-to-function-in-everyday-life slave population in your census for the purpose of representation in the Congress Maybe you can't count them. And the South, particularly South Carolina, essentially said they wouldn't join the union if they didn't get to count them. And so the, the compromise was they don't get to count all the way so that you don't get to use a, 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 a and enslaved population an enslaved a population to get in that uh, That's
1: And that's an important academic point. It's true, but it's also like we should just be able to respond. Well, who, it makes that makes no difference right now. That has no bearing on modern America. America but well, It is, is it
3: is against it is against this argument uh, the the whatever it is 1619 16, 19. thing that, it, that America's DNA is racist because your DNA makes you more yourself and we have gotten less and less and less But the
4: 1619 project it's being taught in schools it's being taught in schools all around the country and I actually think this is why we're focused on the education issue. Uh, the reason we talk about girls sports is no one cares about girls sports I'm, I don't want to be insensitive but no one watches the WNBA. We talk about it because it's How dare only, you sir? I know no I'm sorry. Media came. Matters is going to clip it. But, but the reason we talk about it is it's the only socially acceptable way to talk about transgenderism, which we all know is wrong, but we don't want to say it. It's the same thing with education. The reason we're focused on education, yeah, obviously it's because we care about our kids. We don't want our kids being brainwashed in this racial nonsense and the sexual nonsense. But it's also because of that paradox in education, which is education makes us free. But education is coercive. Yeah. So to be free, we have to be coerced into learning things. And so it's it's not even just about well, which grades and is you know is we we got to wait until eight. The question is really what is America? What is the nature of, of the relationship of the man to the state? What's the relationship of the man to his own genitals? What's the truth of the matter? And we're all we're having this proxy battle through education. But
3: ultimately, we just need to make some substantive claims, don't we? Yes. No. No. Of course we do. But um. But at the level of education we can do it coercively beyond that we yes. can't yeah, that's that's, the that's right
2: yeah. and to your point we need to make these claims culturally and this is what the left has been so successful at doing they actually change you know the 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 window for the conversation they make it to where you know, you can only talk about ideas on their terms and they do this more than anything they do it through entertainment because we engage so much more in entertainment content most people than we do in news content that's why what we're doing at The Daily Wire over these last, uh, I think, really since 2020, and particularly over these last several weeks, has been so important. We're rolling out feature films from Shut In, The Hyperion, Soon-to-be Terror on the Prairie. You know, we're we're rolling out documentaries now. Uh, what is a Woman Coming in May from Matt Walsh, another surprise documentary. I'm not going to announce it tonight, but just hold on to your butts. An unbelievable uh, piece of documentary work that we're going to be releasing uh, over uh, o- over the next couple of months that I know is going to catch the world on fire. Uh, and why we're engaging now in this children's content with our DW Kids initiative, it's because if you don't, you have to fish where the fish are, right? And the great, as I've, I've said this in business since we started the company, the great lie uh, of the 20th century is if you build it, they will come. Hmm. It's simply not true. One reason the Daily Wire has been very successful is because we believed no, you have to build it, then you have to tell people that, they, that you built it, <laughs> then they still won't come and you have to take it to where they are. And maybe then, If you you take it where they are and you tell them about it, maybe then they'll engage with your content. When we first put Ben's podcast on radio, no one had done that before in that direction. Plenty of radio shows would also release as a podcast. We wanted to take a podcast and syndicate it uh, to AM radio. And uh, many of the people that we talked to said, well, you can't do that. It's a used piece of content. People want original content. So, well, it is original to your audience. They said, well, no, no, no. It's the same audience. You know, they're just they're going to listen to you guys over there, and they will come. And I said, it's not the same audience. Yeah. The people who listen to AM talk radio are not the people who, in 2016, were downloading podcasts on their uh, on their iPhones. That's a completely disparate group. We wanted to put our content everywhere that people engage with it. We want we want to fish where the fish are. We want to fight where the fight is, and the fight is in entertainment where people's eyeballs are actually affixed as entertainment, primarily, where people get most of their ideas. It's sort of like every pastor hates this, Uh, but the truth is in most churches, the music pastor has actually more influence (laughs) than the actual pastor who studies the word his entire life because uh, people get a little drowsy when you start going through the Bible and they hear your same tired old jokes again, but in their own voices they sing the hymns. In their own voices they sing the songs, and the the repetition of that, the power of music, the power of doing it yourself over time, that actually creates the framework. And that's how entertainment works. And that's why we're doing what we're doing at the Daily Wire. That's why we're asking you to go become a member over at dailywire.com/slash subscribe. Remember, for the next twenty four hours, uh, twenty four hours from now, we'll be bringing to a close the the longest uh, sale that we've ever run at, at the company, uh, which is forty five percent off of your membership. This is not a donation. It is very useful to us in helping to power the work that we do. It makes it possible for us to do what we're doing. It makes it possible for us to, to make this animated and live action children's content uh, that we're hard at work on right now. Uh, but you get something for your money. It's, all, it's a purchase. You're purchasing uh, terrific content from Ben, from Matt, from Michael. You also get Drew's show. You're, you're purchasing <laughs> uh, Candace. You're purchasing Matt's documentary. You're purchasing this terrific entertainment content. Over time, the value of what you're purchasing will increase. And we're able to do that because of you. It's, a, it's an amazing relationship that we get to have with our DailyWire.com members. Again, DailyWire.com slash subscribe for 45% off. Use the promo code uh, build the Future. 24 hours left on that promotion. And just to prove that we mean it, here's a question from one of our DailyWire.com members. Fellers, what are your predictions for the country in the rest of Biden's term? What should we prepare for? What wins should we focus on?
5: Well, until Biden's out of office, the possibility of major wins are all going to happen at the state level, which is which is fine, frankly. I mean, as as a new resident of a red state, I'm a big fan of federalism. Wasn't as big a fan when I was in California.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
5: And uh, and I'm I'm fine with with Florida continuing to have the best governor in America, Governor DeSantis, (laughs) press forward, excellent legislation. That's that's fine with me. Um, You know, stymieing Joe Biden's spending plans is going to be a big thing. Trying to press to rebuild the military is going to be a a rather major thing. Uh, I I think economically speaking, the chances that we head into a recession inside of the next year are very, very high right now. Uh, I don't think, like economists say, it's like a 28% chance. I think it's more like a 75% chance. I don't think that the Federal Reserve, which has gotten it wrong every step of the way, is suddenly going to start getting it right now. Um, So I I think that inflation will be curbed uh, by the Federal Reserve. It'll happen over the course of the next year and a half, but at the cost of a higher unemployment rate and at the cost of economic stagnation. Uh, I don't think anybody in either party has the actual stones to do what's necessary on spending. I think the new normal is we spend $6 trillion a year, which means that we go bankrupt sooner rather than later. Uh, and austerity measures will come down the pike, say about 2030. That's, that, that's where I think we're going for the next several years. As far as where the, the kind of politics of the country go, I think the backlash has begun. I don't think the social backlash is going to let up because I think that the left is so disconnected, utterly yeah. disconnected from reality, that they cannot get back to it. I'm amazed. I mean, f- truly amazed. And how wild the left is. Obviously, we all knew, because we'd spent a lot of time speaking on college campuses, that it was mainstream radical left thinking that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. Now you have the press secretary at the White House saying that it is best care to, quote-unquote, gender-affirm small children. You're supposed to be giving puberty blockers to small children to the extent that the DOJ is going to crack down on states that prevent doctors from giving puberty blockers and gender-affirming, meaning bio- biology-denying surgeries to minors. That is so patently insane. I cannot believe it. And so I think the backlash is going to just continue. The only thing I fear here in terms of the politics, aside from the spending issue, uh, is that there is going to be uh, some some ability of the Republicans to screw it up, which normally they do. Right? They're, they're- There's only
4: one add-on I agree with every single thing you said. The the Biden administration is not going to pass bills. He can't even get his budget through. He's got two stubborn Democrats who are not going to let that happen. Republicans, presumably, are going to retake the House, and they might retake the Senate. And so that's not going to matter. The problem, of course, is that the legislature doesn't legislate, and they don't actually make our laws. And I am a bill up on Capitol Hill is not the way that our government works. The government is run by the executive agencies. It has been for a long time. And you're going to still get a lot of terrible policy out of that. Just ask the person next to you wearing the muzzle on the, on the airplanes. Oh, wait,
5: you can't ask them because they're going to sound like a teacher on peanuts. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think that the good news here is that the Supreme Court has been cracking back as in the CDC case where, where you know, we fought back against the, the OSHA case. And I think that the, uh, the, the Supreme Court is going to do some, some heavy lifting there. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm deeply fearful mostly the Republicans screw this up in one of two ways. One, they go squishy on the issues that matter most, because we've seen this already in places like Utah and Indiana, uh, where they are are so shy of May- or Larry Hogan in Maryland, making the argument that we shouldn't engage in these cultural battles because after all, you might offend somebody. So I'm afraid of Republicans going squishy because they have a tendency to do this. Yep. And frankly, I'm also fearful that we get to 2024 and Donald Trump throws his hat in the ring and he is less concerned about the priorities that I care about and he's more concerned about his own viewpoint with regard to what happened in 2020. I mean, this seems to be what's happening in Georgia right now. And frankly, I, I got to say, I listen, if he's the nominee, I'll vote for him. But would I prefer that he run? No. Would I prefer he be the nominee? No. Do I think there are more effective candidates, including Governor DeSantis? 100% yes. I think that the enthusiasm for Governor DeSantis is justified. I think it is correct. And, and frankly, I think that he's an extraordinarily competent executive of a major American state who has stood up to the predations of the media in a truly effective way that's made a difference in his state. So, yeah, you know, if Republicans, I think, make the mistake of trying to relitigate 2020 for 2024, I just think that's such an enormous political blunder yeah. that it could
1: steal defeat from the jaws of victory for no apparent reason. I, I think when it comes to 2024, not that this is scientific or anything, but I uh, I did a poll on my Twitter about who would you like to see, DeSantis or Trump in 2024, and there's something like 190,000 people voted, and it was 70% DeSantis. Again, not not scientific, but I think if I had done a poll like that. A year two ago, years ago, it wouldn't have been. certainly two years ago, it would have been 90-10 the other way. So I, I do think that there's the question, something there. And, but I also want to say that with, with Trump, the argument against him in 2024, I think the main one is that, yes, he's going to make it about 2020 when it should be about uh, Biden. It should be about the, the, the extreme you know, nature of Democrat Party, gender ideology, culture. It should be about that. But we don't even need to get into that. I think the real argument is, that, um, is just age. I mean, we don't have to get past that, that he's going to be—he would be— our oldest president breaking the record set by the last president, who was Biden. So the idea that we're going to go from our oldest president to the next oldest president, I think that's enough reason not to Now, Do you think, though, that the that the poll result is about Trump or about
4: DeSantis? Because I love DeSantis. He's the best governor in America. There's no question about it. He, ha- he is unbloodied at the moment. He, they haven't given the deluge of attacks. He hasn't run for president. Trump obviously has. They threw the kitchen sink at him. So is it Is it
5: merely that Trump has been so terribly bloodied people say, cast him to the side? So first of all, I'm going to disagree with the premise. Okay, Okay, the the media spent the last two years Crapping on DeSantis. The reason that he, the reason that DeSantis is a national figure, is because the media decided that he was Death DeSantis, He Death was murdering right, yeah, yeah. hundreds of thousands of people in Florida <laughs> while Andrew Cuomo was grabbing ass up in New York. And so the idea was that he was that he was the bad guy, and he's still a bad guy, right? The yeah. quote unquote "Don't Say Gay" bill. He's killing all the trans yeah, kids, yeah. and and he's attacking Disney and all this. Like the idea that they haven't been going after DeSantis is just not. But it'll really. get worse in a presidential. It will, but, I, but but I mean, of course. But the 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 fact of the matter is that. On a pure governance level, I think it's the strongest case for DeSantis versus Trump, that on a pure governance level, DeSantis has actually been more effective in, in effecting change in his state yeah. than Trump was federally. And I like a lot and of what Trump true. did federally. And if there were
1: skeletons in his closet, if there, if there was dirt on him, you'd think the media would have found it by now. It's not like they're not looking, so— By the way, I mean, here's
5: the best proof. Okay, Florida went from a state that had a a Democratic registered voter majority of 350,000 in 2018 to a state that has a 100,000 vote advantage, registered vote advantage for Republicans in the state of Florida. Ron DeSantis, in his current gubernatorial race, has raised $101 million. His nearest competitor is Charlie Crist, who has raised $7 million (laughs) in this gubernatorial race. And it's April. So, you know, like, I I think that the enthusiasm, I actually don't think it's about Trump. I think it's about some waning enthusiasm for because listen, it, the fact that Trump was bloodied is what drove the enthusiasm on our side for him. Right. It's the fact they kept attacking him that drove people like me into his camp. Right? It was <laughs> like you keep going after him for the dumbest possible reasons because you don't just hate him, you hate me, and that's why I yeah. end up in his camp. The, it, it's not that it's not that they've hit Trump so hard that now everybody the bloom is off the rose or anything. It's that Trump. Was unfocused at the last part of his presidency, at the very least, if not throughout his presidency, he's very unfocused now on the things that I think matter most to Americans. I mean, he's busy like trying to take Brian Kemp out as governor of Georgia and get Stacey Abrams. Elected. The
2: problem, the problem with President Trump, and it it was a, it ended up being a great strength for the first three years of his pres of his administration. in In the last year of his administration, he really choked around with COVID. He choked. He choked going into the election, obviously. Uh, and that's not to say that the election was fair, that it wasn't rigged up. Of course, it was rigged uh, by the media and others, but. But he, he also gave us Fauci. He did not handle the, the pandemic the way I would have liked for him to. But the great strength that, that made him so important in those first three years, interesting, interestingly was how personally he takes attacks. Right. Hmm. His great liability now is that he can't Sweet. get over what is, under. I, I understand his feeling about 2020. I don't agree with every aspect of it, but I certainly understand uh, where he's coming from it was an unfair election. He can't let go of that and look to the actual concerns that, yeah. that his base is facing right now. He, he, he's not in the fight that we're in. And to make, to make that situation worse is his endorsement of Dr. Oz this week, which is part and parcel of the same thing, that, that Trump sees everything through a lens of Trump. And Dr. Oz is like Trump. He's a TV star, they're they're probably friendly from their days in entertainment. Plus, the rival's a moderate, though David McCormick's a moderate. But but Donald but Donald Trump's support of Doctor Oz is not ideological in any way; it's Trump Trump <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and that that's sometimes what's hilarious about him. Sometimes what's funny about him. And to the extent that the left was attacking him as president, it was a very useful thing about him because he I, he took personally their attacks against him, which, as you say, were attacks against us. Right. I,
3: I've always thought that, that Trump was. Uh, a tragic figure I always thought the two people who said this were me and Victor Davis Hansen I said it first but he wrote a great book about it <laughs> and I I think that you know he was the guy that you bring in at that moment because his personal because his personal flaws are the personal flaws you need to break mm-hmm. the the wall that was between the right and these cultural issues that he knew were important and most politicians most right-wing politicians didn't I, I I'm he's too far it's too far off the next Presidential election of is too far off to worry about. We don't know what's going to happen. We actually don't know, though. Everybody I know who knows Trump says, I'm 100% sure he's going to win, uh, run. I mean... I, I, we don't know that. We just don't because this is the only way he can stay. I mean, it's a, the,
5: the point I'm making is a little broader than Trump, which is just Republicans cannot take their eye off the ball and a terrible right. habit but, of taking but, don't the look out. back. Yeah. To quote the Bard,
2: don't look <laughs> yeah, back no. you can never
3: look back. That, no, that's right. But I think that Trump taught us something. If we don't learn that, I mean, Youngkin learned it. Uh, I think DeSantis, DeSantis learned clearly, it. You know, DeSantis no question never. about it. If we don't remember that, we're going to be in trouble. You know, the point that you made about corporations. I just want to go back to this for a minute. You know, corporations do what they do. Almost always, it's at, at, at an essential level for economic reasons. And the thing is that you can, uh-oh. Hey, what is this? Hey, uh. They just let anybody in here? Oh, my yes. God. What's security? And- I thought we had security in. No, no, I, I,
6: beat, I beat all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to do- You're going to hang out with us? Absolutely, sir. Hey, that's wow. fine. great. And actually, you guys are, are taking over my show at the same time. Are we live right so now? We're, on, we're, we're on, on, on Tim Pool's show is, right You here? are all my guests on TimCast IRL right now. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't fit all of your names in the title, so I just went with Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. That's fair. That's the only one that's going to get you. Nice set, dude. Oh, thanks. I mean, like,
5: <laughs> <a> nice
2: job <laughs> with this. This is way better.
6: <laughs> <laughs> we're in a trailer out in your, your, your alley.
2: Yeah. People don't realize that Tim has been broadcasting from our hill all week from a from a fifth wheel trailer that he converted into a mobile studio. And tonight he's going to learn how God feels about it because we have thunderstorms coming through Nashville ah, yes. in 45 minutes. Yeah. And he'll still be broadcasting <laughs> right. from Tim. the most dangerous place in America to be in a
4: family. Welcome to my
6: show, everybody. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> this is the best lineup of guests I've ever had on Tim TimKiss. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I really like being on your show from here because when I go on your show from the hinterland, i got to drive an hour through the woods with serial it's like killers. It's Texas with...
3: Chainsaw Man. It is. It is. House, right? it course, is. Like, yeah. It's so, a cool house. Your, your security guy almost gave me a heart attack as I was walking out. I walk out in the dark of night and this guy goes, hi.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny when uh, we've invited some left personalities who already have apprehension.
1: <laughs> and then get really
6: scared because, we, you know, we're in, it's western Maryland, but it's the middle of nowhere. It's like the Blue Ridge Mountains. Yep. And you drive through pitch black. And then you have <laughs> to drive up a long, it's about a, you know, what, like 1,500 feet driveway. And there are security deer everywhere. everywhere. They're, they're, they are, <laughs> they're ready to pound. Well, you know, when you're driving up in the, in the dead of night and your lights are on, all of a sudden you see glowing eyes everywhere. <laughs> no. And then you're like, I think most people are fine with it. In the summer, it's fine. It's still day out when you arrive. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. true. Well, what, what were you guys talking about before I interrupt? Uh, we were talking about twenty twenty four
5: and and what we think is going to happen. And, and we we're sort of positing the thesis that Democrats are so wildly out of tune with the American public right now that Republicans look pretty good. But they could make the mistake of taking their eye off the ball, which brought up the, the inevitable T word, right? Of course, which is which is Trump and whether he runs. Oh or yeah,
6: that. yeah. I think so. But isn't it starting to feel like Desantis? Might be, Your mouth's uh, God's ears, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I will say that Trump saying, I think just this last week,
2: that his health would be a factor in making the decision uh, is the first time that he said anything that in any way left him an out not to run. Yeah. Uh, and in many ways, you know, he has a lot to lose I agree. if he runs. If he, there's always going to be an asterisk beside his 2020 loss. If he were to run and lose in 2024, you remove the asterisk.
3: Hmm. And, so, and, and all the all the prosecutions that they're threatening him with is clearly political.
2: Now, that makes me want him to run. Keep playing
3: dirty. No, I don't, I don't think so, because I think that he could actually be hurt financially uh, by those if he runs. If he doesn't run, they won't. I, I have this sense. Everybody keeps telling me I'm wrong. Everybody who knows Trump tells me I'm wrong. I have this sense he's not going to run, that he's staying relevant. He's raising money off his, you know, the hints that he's going to run. But I just don't think there's enough in it for him. Mm-hmm. And he's old.
2: Well, I always like to tell you you're wrong. So. No,
3: no. Oh, you you, think, to your you point,
2: Drew, that
4: the prosecutions could hurt him, That this is the problem that the, the powers that be are powerful. Yes, and they, yes. They can actually wield that power and really hurt yep. you.
6: But, but why is DeSantis not in the same vein as Trump?
5: Because well, he, he doesn't run if Trump runs, I think.
6: I, I, I think I, runs.
1: You know, I'm,
5: I'm, I'm beginning to doubt that's true. Really? I'm beginning to doubt that's true. And the yeah, reason I, yeah. that I'm beginning to doubt that's true is because I think that what DeSantis, like most good politicians, understands is there is a time. Yeah. Right. This is right. something that Jeremy and I have discussed a bunch of times before, uh, which is that there are certain politicians where it's like if they had grabbed the moment, it would have been their moment. And if they missed the moment, they're toast. And this happened with, for example, Elizabeth Warren in 2016. If she had jumped in in 2016 and not let Hillary Clinton foreclose her, yeah. she would have been the Bernie figure in that race. And she would have stolen a lot of thunder from Hillary Clinton being the first presidential woman nominee. Chris and Christie in 2012. Right, Chris Christie in 20—like, there are certain periods where if you take—if you go for the brass ring and you grab at it, it's your moment. And then if you miss it, it's just gone. And, and also, so, also very, the other thing and is, and I think DeSantis, in
1: affairs men. DeSantis understands that the, in, in the primary in 2016, Republicans running against Trump, they either just ignored him and didn't attack him at all, which was a mistake, or they attacked him basically from the left. And they, they said, that well, I don't, I don't like his attitude. It's, it makes me uncomfortable. I I think Trump is vulnerable, and what DeSantis probably understands, although I I don't know him, is that if if you you can go at Trump from the right, and you can say, you can hit Trump on vaccines, you can hit him on Fauci, you can hit him on COVID, Um, and I I think... I actually think the best path for DeSantis, uh,
2: as you said, we're still two years away from this, Uh, but if DeSantis were to choose to challenge Trump, I actually think his best path is not to hit Trump. I think his best path is essentially to say, Mr. President, I voted for you, there's no question in my mind that you are the man we needed in 2016. The question is, are you the man that we need in?
1: But 2020? Trump's not going to allow that. Right. that, That's what they tried in 2016, and then eventually Trump will turn around and, call and call go your wife, after your you, and, then, and you're, you're <laughs> right. You're just sitting there. You're not prepared for it. So I think you have to be more proactive, it just, you don't have to be obsessive about it, but you but I, I agree with
5: you that lot, from the right. I agree with you that, that a lot of Trump's appeal in 2016, because I felt this way when he was debating Jeb Bush, is that he just kept pummeling the guy who was more to the center. And Jeb Bush would be like, I'm really uncomfortable with how you talk about illegal immigration. And Trump would be right. like, you're stupid.
0: Like, yeah! And that,
6: there's a lot of that. I have, I have a... I feel like I have a different perspective from you guys because, yeah. uh, for one, look how I'm dressed compared to you guys. I, just, no, I, really. I do think, you know, in all honesty, though, I come from kind of a different world. I grew up in, in Chicago, and uh, I didn't vote for Trump in 2016. I don't think everybody here did. Did you guys? No, I didn't. I did. I did not yeah. vote for either. Uh, in 2020, I, I, I've just been seeing over the past decade what I would describe as the left being so unreasonable and just out of their minds. I'm sitting with a group of prominent conservatives, and I've—I've. I've, this is not how I grew up. No. I grew up in Chicago, surrounded by Democrats. And now I'm looking at 2024 and I would, I'm like, I would vote for DeSantis. Hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't like Trump in 2016. I voted for him because I know Biden, because I knew the, the, the Obama You voted for him in 2020. 2020, sorry. Yeah, right. yeah. 2020, I voted for Trump. Uh, I liked that he didn't start new wars. I liked the Abraham Accords. I liked school choice. And I did not like wokeness because I think it's a, a, an affront to all of the civil rights battles that have been fought. Now we see DeSantis in Florida and everything he's doing speaks to me. Not everything, but a lot of it. So I don't know if I would vote for Trump. I didn't necessarily want to vote mm. for him in the first place. No.
5: Well, this, is, this is, I think, the biggest issue for, for Trump. And, and that is that my theory of, of elections is that elections are oppositional and whoever the election is a referendum on loses. So in 2016... The great myth that the media tried to create is that it was a referendum on Trump. And it was not a referendum on Trump. It was that's a referendum right. on Hillary Clinton. Hmm. People looked at Hillary and they're like, I hate that lady. She's awful. She's garbage. And I don't know this Trump guy. He's real but weird. This is he how says Trump dumb stuff, but I'll take a shot at it. That's right. This is, is how Trump can get
2: fewer votes in Wisconsin than did Mitt, Mitt Romney, Romney four in 2012, years earlier, That's right. And, and still, still win Wisconsin. State. Correct. Because the election was really about Hillary. Right. And Democrats were and like,
5: then, And then by 2020... Joe Biden ran what for him was, I think, the only campaign he could run. But it turned out to be kind of a brilliant campaign, which is he just lay in a basement for, for <laughs> six months. And Joe and every so often they would creak open the crypt and walk out and say. And then he'd go back downstairs and that would be the end of his campaign. And so the referendum was not on Biden. The referendum was on Trump. Well, go to 2024. If Trump runs again, the question is, I'm not sure who that's a referendum on. Is it on Biden or is it on Trump? Right. That's a real question because we they're now really, really prominent figures. If it's anybody. anybody but Trump, it's hard for it not to be a referendum on Biden. He's been president for the last four years and he's done, I'm honest to God, I'm amazed. He's been able to set this many things on fire for a man who's not ambulatory.
0: <laughs> you know, there,
5: there's a tactic DeSantis is using, a rhetorical tactic, that I think
4: every Republican needs to adopt. The old Republican view of things, when they were asked a question, what do you want for breakfast in the morning? Let's say, they, hey, Senator Rand Paul, what do you want for breakfast? you would say, well, you know, some people want omelets and some people want pancakes. And the great thing about America is we can have whatever we want for breakfast. Right, and it's this very <laughs> sort of ambiguous thing. And you ask DeSantis, what do you want for breakfast? He goes, Look, we tried pancakes in Arkansas, and we tried (laughs) uh, omelets, and we're going to have scrambled eggs. (laughs) Scrambled eggs work in Florida, and they're going to work throughout America. (laughs) And there's no
5: question or ambiguity. It's very persuasive.
6: Well, let let me ask you. Is Joe Biden even going to run in 2024?
5: Uh, I mean, I think they have to. I think they have to really? strap him to a gurney. They have to turn him up right. <laughs> and they have to just wheel him around. I because know. they, they have sure to. What are they going to do? They're going to try out Kamala Harris, the worst candidate no. who's ever been created by God or man. It's unbelievable. He will not the be able to
1: speak at all. So it doesn't years what old. What are you
5: going to do? Kamala Harris is the best description I've heard is from the account JTLOL, which is that she is the human embodiment of a predictive text program. You start,
0: start <laughs> typing
5: words into Google, and whatever is the next word is what she says. And so the importance of the passage of time is important with regard to the passage of time. And like so she's terrible. And then in the and then they're like, oh well, you know, we've got this other guy over here, and he's so great that he went on paternity leave for two months and nobody even noticed. He couldn't fill a pothole in South Bend Indiana, but on the other hand, he is gay. Yeah. I mean, that, and and that's that's literally
1: the pitch for Steve Buttigieg. I just uh, ended the scene. Yeah. That's an impossible. First of all, Cam- I, I like that, Camilla Harris. I always, to me, she's always like um, like I was in, in high school when uh, I have to give a, a book report, but I didn't read the book. Like That's what she always sounds like. <laughs> but I, 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 that you just you run into just a, a simple fact of age. So are you going to run a guy who will be, what, he'll be 82, right? And so by the end of his term, he's 86. Just, that's just like an impossible... Well, they don't game. have to get him to the end of his term. They just have to get him to... Yeah, I don't, okay. I don't. But for the purpose, I, 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 for the purpose of, of running, run. they have to pretend that he's going to make it to the no. end of the term. Yeah, I don't think
2: no, gonna he didn't, he didn't pretend
5: he's going to make it to the end of the term this time, <laughs> right? he, he basically <laughs> the,
2: the problem that they have, the reason I think they have to run him, okay. I, and I think that the base doesn't care if he's still cogent. No, the base doesn't care. They don't right. care. Yeah, the reason they have to run him is Kamala. They would like yeah, to right. sub him out with Buttigieg. They might even like to sub him out if if we are making moves towards Trump with uh, with Hillary Clinton, which would be their great revenge fantasy playing out. But the problem is that there is a sitting vice president, and how do you get her to just move aside
5: and let you do that? Well, the, but she'll, the only she'll ways that. They, the they, they do have one Trump card, right? Which is Pretty, that they could they could theoretically call on Michelle, right? That is that is clearly their best move. If, 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 that is because their best because, move. because she, that is a black woman VP. You just say, listen, there's this other black woman, and she's more famous than you, and she's more popular than you, and she's a best-selling author, and we have now softened her image to the point where. She's not the, the radical who is writing Princeton, D.C. Sure about how president America's president. racist. Uh, everybody wants to be president. I, well, no. <laughs> uh, she might not be. She, she likes being Oprah. She likes uh, being Oprah. Everybody very, wants, very Oprah wants to be president. Oprah would—that's well,
2: a better Everyone wants to be president. Uh, listen, Michelle Obama is the, is the nuclear
5: option. 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 No For question. Them. No yeah. question. Why wouldn't they use her? I think they would love to use her. I think okay. the only question is whether she and Barack want to have his—like, if she were to run and lose— whether this would tarnish the Obama magisterial image that he's created for himself. And that guy loves him. I mean, Obama loves him to Obama. I mean, when he came to the <laughs> White House, that, that was... It's
2: one of the that, sorriest displays so I've ever it really was, i It was so sad. It really
5: was. It was the first time... Sorry. It actually Sorry. did... I I, I'm, I can't believe what it says. It made me feel bad for, for Biden. Oh, it yeah. did. Oh, I mean, like he he walks up on stage and he makes a joke about how he's Barack Obama's vice president. And then Barack Obama gets away and is like, well, yeah, over there's my vice president. It's like, you don't get to make that joke. That makes you a dick. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, the,
2: the two things that were, most, that were most on display in that entire episode were, one, what a sorry bastard Barack Obama is. And if you read Maureen Dowd during his administration, she hated him for his treatment of Joe Biden as his vice president. Biden was this completely loyal, subservient even vice president and Obama treated him like absolute dirt the entire time. Uh, so you see, you just see how his view of himself and his view of people around him. And then the other sorry thing is you saw the media's view of him. You know, that that horrible clip where Biden realizes that the president of the United, no one wants to talk to the
5: president of the United States. Multiple. Because they're, they're all talking to Barack Obama. He's got his hand on Obama's shoulder and Obama's shaking him off to shake hands over here. You just realize... The, I mean, media, all he wanted the media, the media, somebody genu- to guide him
6: to the bathroom. That's right. That's yeah. all he wanted <laughs> the, the media
2: fight. genuinely believes that Barack Obama is a deity, and Barack Obama agrees with them.
6: That's that's what was on display to me. <laughs>
2: Did Joe Rogan
6: say something to that effect about uh, Michelle Obama? And uh, I don't want to put words in Joe's mouth, but he mentioned something about Barack Obama being a great president or something to that effect, and Michelle Obama being a potentially great option. I think I think mm-hmm. you know he's relevant for one having the biggest podcast in the world, but I think he speaks to a lot of people who are in the middle and confused or don't necessarily know how they're going to uh, vote come 2020, uh, 2022 and 2024. But I think if these people, the moderates, independents, former left people, see Michelle Obama, I think a lot of them will be convinced yeah. to vote Democrat again. I'm not entirely convinced. For me, my brain exploded after 2020 with just, yeah, I'm done with this. You know, I'm, yeah. uh, or 20, 2018 even, when I think it was 31 seats, that did uh, count, uh, districts that voted for Trump, vote Democrat, and all of these moderate Democrats said, "We're going to bring you kitchen table issues. We're not going to focus on culture war issues." And the first thing they do is they they move to impeach Trump. And it felt like I was just yeah. spit on. I was I mean, like, you know, I, I had faith that if I if I just you know push back, I donated to a lot some of these Democrats, thinking that they'll actually re you know reconfigure things and, and fix this. And they only made it worse. The only the only thing I think that they could really harm Michelle Obama if she were to run
5: is I think that she really has ideologically she always has been very radical, and I think that she will re-embrace wokeness because she too is in that bubble. Yep. I think the most, ironically, the thing that we complain the most about is probably the thing that may save the republic and that is the media bias. The media bias is so strong the Democrats do not understand that there's an entire world outside of the Beltway that just mm-hmm. thinks they're crazy. And so the reason that you see the White House saying things like, well, you know, it's very important that we use the DOJ to crack down on people stopping little girls from being turned into little boys. The reason they say that is because the New York Times agrees with them and the Washington Post agrees with them and everybody they the, know agrees with them.
1: The other thing about Michelle Obama is that she's attractive to people, I guess, not to me, but to, to people as like an idea. But if she's running for office, then she's actually gonna have to be out there talking when you listen to her talk kind of to your point about how radical she is but also she's just really a, a kind of a vile human being I'll, I'll never forget this story she told on a podcast somewhere about when she experienced racism like she was still harboring this resentment because she went to get ice cream and a white woman didn't notice her and like and cut in front of her and she told this whole story about how she was a victim of racism as the first lady in the united states uh, because a white woman was getting ice cream before her. Well, so there, just, there's
5: that story that she told about how she went to the grocery store and she was tall. So somebody asked her to take something down from the top exactly. shelf. Exactly. That, that she said that thing. that was racism. It's like, no, you're just tall. I mean, like, <laughs> so I, I, I'd ask Matt
6: to get something from the top shelf for me. I mean, <laughs> but who, who, who are the voters who fall for that stuff? Yeah, are, see, are I, there,
3: are there- I agree with you, Tim. I, you know, I, I think that she's. I think that Michelle Obama. I don't think she would run, but I think that she is a good candidate if she runs. But you know, the voters are not as uh, enamored of identity politics as the Democrats are. They, n- in no way, are they. Well, right. the,
6: the the poll about uh, the parental rights and education bill in Florida has overwhelming support from Democrat voters right. who yeah, were polled at the very vote. least. Yet they double down on this stuff. It's like you were saying that the, the media bias is palpable. I don't know if you guys saw CNN Plus only has 10,000 daily active users. <laughs> wow. In the in, you know oh, hold, hold on just a second. Yeah, <laughs> a little... but,
3: but I think I'll enjoy Chris uh, Wallace's new show What Have I Done? I think <laughs>
5: <laughs> By the way, who who was the business genius at Warner who was like, "Okay, so we have CNN and no one watches. What if we take the same hosts and we put them behind a paywall yeah. doing more boring things? I mean, how does this go wrong here, guys?
6: Well, this seems like a genius business plan to me. Well, they giving you money every, every
3: time you don't watch CNN. Now make money. I, I like you
6: it. You I, I will tell you guys something interesting, though, because uh, Matt and I were talking about this the other day. When I asked you, why, why is it The Daily Wire is 600,000-plus subscribers? CNN can't even get 10,000 daily users. You mentioned mission, I think is what you said, right? Mm-hmm. When I
1: worked well, for- Well, I, me- I said the reason is me. And then- <laughs> oh, okay, right. The number two <laughs> reason. He
6: did say that. He said he was better than everybody. Uh, you know, in, in, uh, when I was working for these big corporate media outlets, I was at a, a company called Fusion, which is ABC News and Univision. They said mission-driven storytelling. That was, that was their line as to what their goals were. It's almost like they were either predicting or wanting politics to be the main driver of what was gonna bring people to different media outlets. The only issue is I felt like their narratives were built on lies and manipulation. We have to withhold information from people, trick them, feed them only the information mm-hmm. we want. Whereas I feel like with what you guys do, with what we do, it's here's everything, let's argue about it.
2: Yeah, but well, that's, that's what I love about this show that we get to do once a month is that we quite often disagree and those disagreements i think are central to to what makes the daily wire work I, I think at the core of the daily wire success is our fundamental religious difference that we we talked about it today in fact that our fundamental religious disagreement means that central to our friendship is the idea that there's not ubiquity and that there's not uh, uh, unanimity. Un, unanimity in our thought and that's it's not that we don't have a strong perspective as a company it's not that we don't have a strong uh, that we don't have a side in the fight uh, but it's that we that we are actually engaged in the exchange of ideas and and trying to always learn more and and know more and be better. Tim, thank you for, uh, well, for coming on uninvited. Please feel free to invite yourself on the show again in the future. (laughs) Thank you to all of our dailywire.com members for making this possible. We're going to wrap up because there's a thunderstorm rolling in. This guy's got to get back to his tornado bait trailer. And Ben (laughs) Shapiro has to get on an airplane and get out of here. Head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use promo code Build the Future. You still have 23 hours left to become a member at 45% off. We'd really appreciate you being a member. We appreciate our members making it possible for us to do the work that we're doing, including fighting woke Disney. So thanks again. We'll see you next week. We'll give you a fake clap. I don't know, one of these days. <laughs> should <laughs> I just run out the door now? Yeah, you should yeah. leave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. It was a pleasure.
2: Thanks. Thanks Daily Wire Backstage is produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer is me, Jeremy Boring. Our production manager is Pavel Wodowski. Studio and equipment management is by Patrick Kennedy. And broadcast engineering is by Mark Herman. Editing is by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Guarimena. And our audio assistant is Israel McFarlane. Playback is operated by McKenna Waters. Daily Wire Backstage is a Daily Wire production.
6: Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley. With premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last.